You know, um, I was at a concert a number of years ago uh, with a, another man from the church here. And I'll never forget sitting there. Uh, it was a Christian concert, actually. And we were sitting there beforehand. I, I, I can see it in my mind right now. I'm kind of closing my eyes and watching it. And I could see the crowd there. It's one of those times before it started. They had a little light music in the background. You hear people talking all over the place and sitting. Then all of a sudden, the guy went with, stood up and pulled out his phone. And he began to pretend he was talking to somebody on the phone. I said, brother, what are you doing? He said, Pat, it's all about seeing and being seen. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Uh, the more I got to know this brother, I knew he put in a lot of time, a lot of thought, and a lot of energy in appearances and the attempt to cause people to think a certain way about him when the reality is, is most people had no idea who this brother really was. They only knew who he wanted them to think that he was. Let me give you another scenario I've experienced. <laughs> a few times in the last month, actually, you know, my, my head's kind of like, what? You know, you ask a simple question and you expect a straightforward answer. You ever been there? And then the person answers and they are dancing all around. And by the time you get done, you have no idea what they just said or what they believe. I used to ask you a simple question, just want a simple answer. And you are so confused at the end, you have no idea where they're at. It happened this week with somebody. I wanted to, I would just say, what in the world? You know, they were asking a question and they danced all around this thing. I was like, what, what in the world are you trying to say, man? You know, just say it. Well, one thing we know is the early church was not made up of people like those two. It was not made up of people that wore masks and tried to present themselves as something else and get people to think about them the way they wanted them to think about them. And it was not people who did not speak straightforward and honestly with what was going on in their heart. And we're gonna see this morning that that was one of the norms of the early church that we see in Acts chapter two, verse 42 through 47. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. That uh, these were real people who wore no masks and tried not to present any images to be somebody they weren't. And they were people who would answer straightforward and simply exactly where they're at. If we want to be a vital church in this area of Chicago and we want to be revitalized as a people, this is one of the norms we have to get back to. And so last week we learned this. The early, a norm we have to get back to as well is that the early church met regularly both in smaller contexts and in larger contexts around the things of Jesus. And today we're going to see from verse 46 a window into what their relationships were like when they were together. You following me? I'm excited to take us there this morning because this is, this is awesome truth. If you're there in Acts 2, 42, I'm sorry, I'm going to read verse 46 to you. That's the passage I want you to focus your heart on right now. See if you can catch what was this norm in the way they related to one another in the early church. It says this, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Did you catch it? It's right there in that last phrase. What were these guys like? They were full of gladness and they were sincere. Now I got good news for you this morning. If you're a mope, 
If you have a tendency towards negativeness or complaining all the time, I don't have time to deal with that this morning. That's the good news. We're going to focus on the second one, the sincere heart. And uh, that's the part we want to take a look at today. Not that they ate sincerely, that they took their food and they were very sincere in the way, you know, I don't know how you eat sincerely. I was thinking about how do you eat sincerely? No, they ate while they had sincere hearts as they related to one another. So what in the world is a sincere heart? So I did, I went to the place where I normally go to get some help thinking the Greek dictionary is obviously gonna help me understand uh, this word and explain it to me simply. And uh, because this is the only time in the New Testament where this word for sincere is used. There's other words for it, but this is the only time. So it isn't like I go to other verses and say, well, how was it used over here? Or how was it used here? I have to, you know, I'm looking, this is the one use of it. And it comes from a word that means this. This is gonna be a lot of help, you'll see. It means this, without a stone. Doesn't that help you? They, had, they ate with hearts that didn't have any stones in it. Free from rocks. The, the word is used in the context outside of scripture in places where the ground is even, all the stones and all the rocks are removed so that when you walk on it, you won't stumble over or stub your foot on a rock. That's how the word is used. Still hard for me to grasp, you know, you know, as you kind of wrestle with it, but as you continue to look and study a little bit farther, it becomes clearer and clearer. Because when I looked at seven different dictionaries, I said, I gotta get this thing, man. I don't have any other place to look. I'm one, I love the multitude of counselors. Don't just take one that seems right until you come and hear the other. So you got to let the iron sharpen iron even when you study here. So I looked at seven different Greek dictionaries and six of the seven used the word, this means simplicity, it means simple. Two of them said it means singleness, oneness. And this is the way that they apply it when they interpret it. There's four different ways they talk about it. One, it could mean a humble, simple heart and life. Their heart is humble, their heart is simple. It can be a humble, sincere heart and life. <laughs> it can mean a sincerity of heart or it can mean just a simple and plain heart. In other words, what you see here is that the heart isn't full of a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's simple, it's plain, it's clean, it's not full of rocks, it's not something you stumble over. Basically, it's so simple, and I think this is where the word sincerity comes from and why they say it. It's so simple that what's in here comes out here, both in their conversations and in their life with one another. They're not like my brother who is busy putting on an image and wants people to think a certain way about them so they put all kinds of time and energy and money into presenting themselves a certain way so people will think a way about them. No, a simple heart just says, this is who I am. This is who I, you know, this is who I am. This is what I say. And so I think that's the idea here uh, when they talk about the sincerity they are who they are. There's no faces, there's no masks. It's just what they are out here is what comes out here. It's a simple heart. There's no complications to it. There's no mask to it. There's no phoniness to it. Who I am here comes out here. So I think the way these words relate to singleness is this. They lived a focused life. They had a single heart, they had a sincere heart. The singleness means is that they had a heart that was focused. They were in the moment. Because of the simplicity, their heart wasn't full of rocks of busyness and commitments that they had so much on that many of us wrestle with because our plates get so full. So guess what? We come to worship on Sunday morning and what's happening? My mind is someplace else. 
I got all kinds of other thoughts coming and I'm sitting with other people. I'm thinking about all the things I gotta do. And rather than being in the moment, single-minded and focused and simple and purely here in the moment with what's going on in front of me, whether it be worship, whether it be preaching, whether it be relationships with other believers, you know, people who are not like that are distracted and they're so full and they're in another place. So these are people who were fully focused. And I think they were, their focus was simply told to us in Acts 2.42. What did they focus on? The apostles' teachings, the fellowship, that's the relationship with one another, the breaking of bread, that's communion. And the fourth one you all know, which I just forgot, and I got to cheat, prayer. These were the four things. Their life was simple, it was single, it was focused on these kind of things. And they were sincere. Who they were is what you got. And what they said is what they meant. And if we're going to be a church that's going to be vital in the southwest portion of Chicago and impact even beyond these borders, we're going to have to be people that become like the norm of the early church who are solely focused upon Jesus and the things of Jesus and real with one another. Because they ate their meals together with gladness and sincerity with heart. So you can see now they're getting together often and they're being real with one another. Who they really are is what other people are really saying or seeing. And what they say is what they really mean. This is the way that the early church related to one another. Now, let me ask you this. How are you doing? Let me ask first, how are you doing with being the authentic you? Are you being real? Christians struggle with this, by the way, because we want everybody to think we're really spiritual and we all got it together and everything's going fine. That's not the case, is it? <laughs> but are you authentic do people know the real you? Are you doing you with complete authenticity, even with your flaws and your brokenness, not trying to cover everything up? How you doing with being an authentic believer in Jesus Christ? And not only are you being real in the way you live, but are you being real in the way you talk? Are you giving straightforward, honest, humble answers as to who you really are and where you really are at? Or have you become an expert in the biggest Christian lie that exists today? You know what that is? How you doing? What do we say? I'm fine. Really? Come on. <laughs> Probably the most used Christian lie uh, in the history of the North American church because we aren't real with one another. We put each other off. How you doing? I'm fine. All's good. Uh, you could even use my line. If it was any better, I couldn't stand it. You know, but we use all kinds of things to cover up what's really going on in here. And here's my next question. Not only are you being the authentic you, do you have other believers that you can be the authentic you with and they're being the authentic them with you? <laughs> Who are the people you're walking with? Because this is church, guys. It's not an individual thing. The early church you could walk with and you knew that this group of people were gonna be real and they're gonna be the real them and they were gonna say what was really true there in their hearts with one another. I remember years ago, right here at Moraine, I, I, I can still see again, you know, I was down at the other end when we had church down there and it was near one of the pillars in the back. Same pillar I actually asked you out by Kimberly Jean for the first time, now that I think of it. That's awesome, great, what a memory. You guys don't know it, I was so shy. I had a guy standing behind the other pillar coaching me and urging me on to uh, ask him out. So that's, it took that kind, it took 
our next door neighbor, the woman to say, Pat, go do it. It took my friend standing behind a pole. So anyhow, that, that's, God bless me. You know, the Lord helps the, the weak. But uh, I was standing at the same pole where I met you at, Kimmy, and asked, well, I didn't meet you there, but I asked you out for the first time. And I remember this guy asked me, he was an older man in the church, he was one of the leaders in the church. And he said, how you doing? And I don't know, for some reason that day, I didn't use the Christian lie, I'm fine, which I probably told him a hundred times before. I said, really? I'm a, let me tell you. And I started to lay out what was going on in my life, which was a real mess. You could see this guy was physically shaken. He wasn't used to another believer telling him where he really was. You could see he got out of there as quick as he could. He had no idea what to say. And I mean, it was like, it was really an awkward moment. It was awkward for him, I guess, was what I shared. And it was awkward for me by his response. I was like, whoa. You know, that's not the kind of thing that the early church experienced. You see, here's the reality. Some people cannot handle the truth. They can't. They just can't handle the truth. And I'm going to tell you about another kind of person in the church. They're unwise to tell the truth to. Now I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. Yeah, the standard we're all going for is, is that we can be people of integrity and be the real you and you need to be the real you and God's got to give you wisdom how to do it. But you know, there are some people in the church that feel they're the self-appointed prophet and critic of everybody. Their concern is to correct the errors in your life and point them out rather than connect with you with love and grace and speak God's truth into your life in a loving, humble way and to walk with you. So while there's some who can't handle the truth like that guy by that uh, pillar who just shook and basically ran away when I told him the truth, there's others that will condemn you and um, just become the prophet. And it's not really a wise person to share with. Now, we all want to grow. If you're the person that runs from truth, you want to grow and be able to stand there and, and be able to help people. If you're the kind of person that condemns and a self-appointed critic and prophet, you need to grow in your wisdom of how to use that gift. And um, our goal is to be people who are authentic coming together. And so my question for you this morning, are you the real you in the way you live and talk? And if you found other believers, whether it's in this body, outside this body, wherever, but you need some other people in your life where you can be the real you, they can be the real you, a real them, and, and you guys can say the real things to each other, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That was the early church. They were real. They walked with one another in that. And if Moraine Valley Church is gonna be revitalized, that's exactly what's gonna take. Authentic, transparent, real, genuine, honest, simple, straightforward people in both our lives and our conversations with one another. You know, that's the way that Paul lived. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 1. I'll put it on up here. You know, this one so hits it perfectly. He was speaking to the Corinthian church in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God. We've conducted ourselves in the world. How, how do we live? Well, I didn't live, what he's saying is I didn't live like that guy at the concert who gets up and pretends to be somebody else and wants to be seen and to see and to uh, put an image out for people. That's what he's saying, no, no, no. I didn't live in the way that the world lives and by the standards the world lives by and the things that the world says are the way to live. I lived with godly sincerity. I was genuine, I was real in the way I conducted myself with you guys in the world. Then he says this, for we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand. That's his communication. 
He was writing, I'm talking about, in other words, what I write to you is exactly what I meant. There's nothing to read between the lines. There's no hidden motives here. What I say is what I meant. And what I wrote to you and what you read is exactly what I wanted you to understand. Simple, straightforward, didn't dance around. And you get done say, what in the world did they just say? But real and genuine, both in his life and in his conversation. Ephesians 4.15 says this. Um, this is that section about how the church grows and how the church becomes stable in its growth. You know, again, the church, we together as the people of God. He says this, but speaking the truth in love, we grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. It's that combination of love and truth coming together embracing and kissing one another in their fullness. They're not in opposition to one another. They are best friends. <laughs> they are lovers. Truth and love fully embrace one another. And that needs to be our conversations with one another if we're gonna grow up in all aspects into Christ who's the head. Romans 8, what's God doing in our life? Ultimately, he's making us more like Jesus. If we as a church and we as a people are gonna become more like Jesus, it's gonna require conversations that are full of grace and full of truth, full of love and truth. Um, the context here, beforehand, I believe, is talking about the ministry of the church, the different gifts, the pastors and the teachers. So even those who are speaking from the pulpit it's not your place to get up and become, you know, whatever. Your commitment is to bring God's full truth fully in love. As a preacher, as a pastor, as a teacher, whether it be in a classroom, whether it be in a small group, whether it be from the pulpit. But I think by the next verse, we see this is also true in our relationships with one another up close. And so now it isn't when Pat's preaching from the pulpit, it's when I'm out having coffee and back and talking with somebody, a one-on-one -on -one relationship, guess what? <laughs> could be during the week on the phone, could be in small group, could be wherever, that my conversations are full of love and truth. That's the way we grow. I love, uh, read this this week. Truth without, or I'm, yeah, truth without love is brutal. And love without truth is hypocrisy. Guys, we need both. We need both. Romans 12, 9 says, let our love be without hypocrisy. Be who you really are. Speak what you really mean fully in the context of love, love and truth. So what do we do with this? I, I want to say something, first of all, as a pastor, and this is, this is important, so listen up close. That last verse says that we grow up more into Christ when we speak the truth and love to one another. Now you gotta know, my whole heart and my whole life is wrapped up in, not whole life, but a big part of it is in preaching sermons, <laughs> teaching God's word. And I, I, I have a high value of God's word and the work and the miracles it can do in our heart. But I will tell you this, the greatest transformation, times when I got put on steroid, crisis moments in my life, when I was changed by truth, is when it came to me through an individual who knew me well enough and loved me enough to tell me the truth. Whether that truth was an instruction or an encouragement that I needed because I was, you know, instruction, I didn't know what to do, encouragement because I was down or a warning because I was going the wrong way or actually even a rebuke or correction because I was in trouble. And I'm gonna tell you, I've had all of them and I've needed all of them and I was changed by all of them. There's something about truth spoken in love by somebody who knows me up close that is one of the greatest transformation points that God uses in our life. 
And that's really what Ephesians 4.15 tells us. When we speak the truth and love to one another, we grow up into Christ-likeness. That's our goal. That's how the early church met with one another. That's how they lived with one another. And I, want, I asked my good brother Gilbert. Gilbert, come on up here, good bro. Um, Gilbert's actually in an accountability group that uh, he has shared with me. Hey, brother, good morning. Good morning. Great. Thanks for morning. being with us this uh, morning. An honor, especially after last week. What's that, brother? That was just Jesus. Uh, Folks up in the balcony know what I was Yeah. <laughs> I got to tell you, it's re we know revivals happen when the balcony moves down this way. So we got one. We got That's one. It. I'll be back. I'll be back. Backslid, now, brother? Yeah. Um, Gilbert, we just want you to share this. You sure. shared a little bit. We're in a small group of guys, and okay. you've shared a little bit about this other group you're in. Right. And I was like, wow, that sounds cool. And I just yeah. want you to share it with the body today. Okay. So I'm going to ask you four questions. The first one is, tell us basically the purpose of this group and the nature of it. Sure. You know, I, I think sometimes when, it, when you talk about accountability, accountability is really an extension of discipleship. You know, you come to faith in Christ, but you need to know how to grow, how to learn, how to, how to live this new life. And so you usually come to Christ by, by way of someone who knows the word a little bit better. And as a result of that, then you, when you have your questions, then you're able to ask them as you go. In my particular life, there were, there were three accountability groups that took place in my life. One was when I first came to Christ, it was Marie's brother. He spent two years, we went to a mandatory Bible study at met on Saturday evening from six to nine o'clock and we learned God's word and we learned how to apply God's word in our life. The second one was uh, uh, with, with your good friend, Mike Stabile. And we did this well over three or four years and in his particular case, you had to sign a contract. So here's a contract that I had to go to Bible study, I had to meet with him. But what was interesting was where the first one was from 6 to 9, Mike's The Bills was at 5.30 in the morning. So from 5.30 to 8.30. But what we learned was it was a sacrifice in order to do this. This third one, I cannot tell you how it happened. Uh, I was at work. I was working at a telecommunications company in Oak Brook. And there was one brother that lived in Texas. There was another brother that, uh, that worked in another department. And then there was me. And I remember this one guy, the one that was from Texas, used to always talk about his, he, I, you, you could hear him, he would talk over his cube. And that's where I got like the man of God thing from, because he would be, you need to give your life to Christ and you need to read your Bible. And I was like, oh, this is the dude I want to be a friend with. And we began to just do something as small as just go play golf. But um, a year after that, he went back to Texas I lost my job, and the, and the other guy was still there. But we, did, we knew we wanted to be together. So it was somebody's grand idea that we should have a telephone call once a week. Monday morning at 6 a.m. And it was brutal. It was brutal. Uh, because at that time, and I had small kids, and. But I, I tell you, that one act, which occurred in January of 2000, has been going on every Monday morning since 2000, so 20, for 22, 22 years. years. Wow. Every Monday morning from 6 a.m. Well, yeah, you clapping now. Wait till you hear the brutal part of it. <clears throat> uh, but it grew out of, and, and when you look at the relationships we have, one is we're all within seven years age of each other. So the youngest one is seven years younger than the one in the middle, and the middle one is seven years younger than the, the oldest one. Which one are you, brother? <laughs> As you might guess, I'm the senior of the group. But let me tell you what, what that's done, though. Um, we get three different vantage points. Uh, and when you we think of accountability, you have to think of it this way, that accountability is really about 
being vulnerable to another person. You know, we don't come into the Christian life perfect. We come into the Christian life with a lot of broken parts that God then has to turn into. He has to transform that. But you can't do it in a bubble. And so, you know, we couldn't, I couldn't discriminate against the youngest guy and say, you know, he has nothing to speak into my life. Nor could I say that to the one in the middle. But we found common ground in the things that we, we grow, grew to know about each other. So as you can imagine, in 22 years, we've, we've done, we've ministered to each other in a number of areas. And that's one of the purposes of accountability. Paul says something interesting in Galatians 6. He says that we should bear one another's burdens in order to fulfill the law of Christ or fulfill the love of Christ. And so we have a responsibility to each other in order to do that. So what's a typical meeting look like, brother? Oh, gosh. Okay, so I've got, what, another 14 hours before we have to do this um, we, we graduated from, you know, doing the, uh, someone would call and then they would bridge someone on. We got a conference bridge now. Uh, the reason that we don't do a Zoom call is because one of the brothers has moved to Las Vegas. So think about that. So the youngest guy on the call, we're up at six, he's up at four. And even when, we, when, even when we challenged him and said, you know, if you want to, we could push it back, man. We could do it at another time. He said, no, no, I need to get up. I need to sacrifice because I need to be there for you all. And I'm expecting you all to be there for me. So we get up. We uh, normally, we, we pray ourselves in. We pray in. We give a praise report. And then we deal with life. They ask me hard questions. I ask them hard questions. We all, we all have to deal with our relationships with our wives, our relationship with our kids, our relationships at work. And that by itself can encompass a lot of hours, but we hard stop if there's an issue. And so we don't, we don't skirt. If, if there's a struggle, if there's a problem, then that's what we that's what we address. That's the agenda for the day. That's the agenda for the whole one hour. Sometimes these calls have gone like three hours, and we don't take time off for holidays or it's just that important because we believe that we can't grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ in a vacuum. And much like what you're sharing here in the first church, just imagine if that was what you normalized. That was normal for them to do. I mean, they didn't know anything about this new life in Christ. And if I'm honest, and if, if, if I'm truly honest, I still don't know a whole lot. There's still a lot for me to know. But I can tell you, in the years that we've spent together, and I can tell you the value of accountability, you will grow. You will grow because you realize that we all kind of need each other in order to make it through. And we can't, we can't live the Christian life on our own. We have to walk alongside of, of someone else and do it together. So, Gilbert, how do your wives fit into this? Uh-oh. See, I knew you were going to do that. <clears throat> now, it wasn't always like this. Um, But I would say it was really almost maybe like 10 years ago, we uh, began to recognize that we were in some of our conversations that a lot of our challenges were being faced in our marriage. And so we knew that in some instances you were only hearing one side of the, the story. And, 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 and we, we have a very, very transparent, very vulnerable and, and understand when you're, when you're vulnerable with somebody, you're giving them material to use against you. So if they want to rip you to shreds, you've just given them everything that they need in order to do that. But it went further, and we said, well, you know what? The true test of whether we really believe in accountability is we have to allow 
than our wives to be able to speak into it. So, so now it's in it, it's where um, Marie has the right to call my accountability buddies if I'm not being good. Right, Marie? And trust me, the sister does use it. She will use it. And vice versa. You know, if there's something going on that, that needs to be addressed, then, you know, they have that freedom. Now, I, I think you got to grow to that point. You know, I don't think that that's something that comes automatically, but you can only, you can, you can just imagine if we take ourselves out of the 20th century and put ourselves in the first century, well, how great would that be as a church? If we shared all of our meals together, if we had this fellowship with one another all the time, if we were able to speak into those areas where we need to grow, you know, and then, then in other areas where, where um, we also need to, to speak the truth in love, if that's required. It's not, there's nothing wrong for someone to speak into my life if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. That's, that's how we grow. We don't grow in a, in, a, in a vacuum. And that was one of my fears, you know, when we first got the group, because you know, I thought I was the oldest. I knew more, I knew as much as everyone, knew more than they did and didn't realize that there was so much that can be observed by someone who doesn't have the same spirit. They may not be at the same level spiritually. They may see things much more simply. But the greatest freedom that we've had, and if I could encourage in one area about accountability, is when you have that freedom to talk about the sin that, that so easily besets you, you're set free. You, you're truly set free. And when you know that you're speaking that to someone who loves you, who's gonna, he's gonna correct you. They're gonna correct you and they're gonna be firm, but they do it because they love you. It opens you up to be able to share more because you know it's not about perfection. It's about holiness, but you can't get holy by yourself. We need to all do that collectively together. Two more questions. One, could you give us one story how this has personally impacted you? I mean, other oh, than gosh, we're calling yeah. and talking, how has yeah. it really transformed you, brother? Yeah. Give us a... You know, um, again, that actually, the, the, the crisis that we find ourselves in with, uh, with my daughter, um, and, and really just in... I mean, they went through the, um, we, we've been going through a, a big challenge with my daughter. My daughter suffers from um, a lot of mental health challenges. Um, and it would be very easy to want to hide that from your friends, to hide that from the church, um, and to put on a facade and say, you know, I've got it all together. I've, I know how to do this. Um, and these brothers have given me the freedom uh, to cry on their shoulders. Um, uh, they've been firm when they think that I have been a little bit too harsh. Um, but they've also given me that, the support that I've needed um, when I've needed it that way. Uh, uh, I had a crisis when my marriage with, with Marie. Uh, that she didn't like something that I was doing. And these brothers, they, they hold me accountable you know, to how I act and what I do on a, on a day-to-day, a week-to-week basis. So, you know, even though this happened a couple years ago, a couple, three years ago, I mean, they still, like, ask me every week. And, you know, you're like, you're on the car, you're going, when's it coming? They gonna ask. <laughs> but isn't, isn't that love, though? Isn't that love that you don't ever want to take a chance that you could stumble? And that's, that's valuable. So again, it doesn't happen overnight, uh, but your first challenge in doing it is asking yourself, are you that type of person? Am I the type of person that can be trusted? Am I the type of person that, I mean, you can look at the person on your road, the person on your left or on your right, and look at them and say, man, can I really trust that person? And can I be trusted? So let me ask you, you kind of push us there. This is my last question. 
Somebody might hear say, I need something like that. Sure. How would they go about even starting? Give a little practical advice for all of us. How do we start a group like that? Wow. Um, you know, you, you certainly have to pray about it. If, 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 if I knew you were going to ask for something later, but, but how many, I would be curious to know how many people would want a relationship like that. Okay, I'm going to keep looking until everybody raises their hand. Nah. <laughs> nah. You know, it's, if, if you want a relationship like that, I, I think God has already put the people around you to, to be able to, to do that. Um, you, it, our, this last one came by accident. I told you, the first, first two came by, I mean, by demand and by proxy. You know, the last one came because I was available. And so if, you, if, you, if you're the type of person that wants to, to be available, then I believe God will put the people in, in your path that want to do that. But I think, you know, uh, look around you. God has put people around you that, that are already... To, I have already been prepared to move into that spot. They're just waiting to be asked. That's a good word. Yeah, you can't turn in your name to the church and we put people no. together that don't know each uh -uh. other. It's got, mm -mm. I like that. Mm -mm. You know, you, you, you are. You've been here long enough to, to see some personalities, see some faces, see some people that are interested. Go up and ask them. You know, if they say no, then I'd go tell the elders and... Uh, <laughs> no, but no, but seriously, <clears throat> you have to be that person. You have to want to be that person. That early church in Acts chapter two, they, they didn't know any better. So if they were going to develop it, and, and, and really I would, I, would, I would beg to say that we are compelled to do it because we are sitting here today because of their willingness to do that. Had they not do it, done that, then we wouldn't be sitting here today. And if God's not going to tarry and there's going to be another generation coming behind us, then we're compelled to do this. And, and then Paul said, you know, God's commands aren't burdensome, so it's not hard to do. You just have to be willing. You have to be wanting. You have to feel that this is, this is my, this is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning me. Thank you, brother. I'm going to have Gilbert stay here for a moment because he's going to close us in prayer. Um, so, how you doing? Are you the real you? Do you speak simply, clearly, graciously, lovingly, the truth? Do you have other people you are the real you with? And that, that together you can, as Gilbert and his brothers, they're real with each other, speaking the truth to each other in love. Do you have other people in your life you can do that with? And you said it, Gilbert. I love that. I, uh, you know what? Once you lay out the truth, People can use that against you. When you lay out your vulnerability and brokenness, a lot of ways people can use that against you, to brutalize you, to hurt you. And I gotta ask you, are you the kind of person that when you get around brokenness and flaws and things that aren't good in people's lives, do you run from them and avoid them like that guy did with me? Do you brutalize them? with the truth because you feel you're the prophet that's supposed to point out all the errors? Do you, let me give you the other side. Do you love them with giving them no help? Because you know how you do that? You don't tell them the truth. We just love everybody, throw arms around them. We just say, that's, that's all. but you don't speak the truth to them. So when you speak the truth no love, you brutalize them. When you love them with no truth, you don't help them. So how do you do with people that are struggling and hurting and wrestling and flawed? So this is what we're going to do in closing this morning. Can I say one other thing? 
Sure, brother. Let me say one other thing. You have to know God's word. You're not, we, we don't, we don't, I help no one telling them what my feelings are. If I'm going to speak the truth, I have to point them back to the one who is truth. If I give them my opinion, then there's my feelings. We always want to point people back to the one who, who, who knows it all, who, the one who set the stage, the one who's transforming, the one who's conforming us to the image of the Son. And so I, I implore you, if you're, not, if you're not studying God's word, you need to, that's, that's a good place to start, and that should be a part of that, that group as well. So you gotta know, you have to know what God's word has to say in order to, to really kind of direct and guide and, and hold people accountable properly. Uh, and then, again, um, you have to, you don't be a... Don't be afraid to, you might have to test someone at first. You can't just, you can't really dump on some unless they're really mature to that point. But you want to, you want to um, guard your heart. And when you hear things, it's not for, it's not for public knowledge. You know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be, to, to highlight someone else's failures over your supposed maturity. That makes, does that make sense? Okay. Gilbert, thanks so much for sharing with us today. Uh, you're an awesome brother. I'd love to get to know you. And um, I want to close with this this morning. We're going to do it a little bit different. And uh, this will take a real risk to step out and uh, be like the early church. But if you're here today and you're hurting or you're struggling with something. And from A to Z counts because all that matters is that it affects you. And you need someone to speak the truth and love to you or to pray for you. I'm asking you to raise your hand. If you're in a place today that you feel you need this kind of relationship, would you raise your hand right now? Keep them up for a moment. Go ahead, we see more, keep putting them up, keep them up. Gilbert, I saw yours up, so keep yours up there for a little bit. I'm always needing it. Put it high. Now those that are around them, if you know and understand struggle and pain, and flaws. We don't need somebody to come preach another sermon to somebody. You follow me? <laughs> Look around. If you're a person that knows and understands and experiences flaw and pain, then I want you to go to one of these people that have their hands up. And hopefully two or three people will go and hear their heart and pray and speak as God leads you. So if you're one of those that's hurting, raise your hand real high now. Real high. There we go. And I hope you that are looking around that maybe you're in a place where God's brought you through some pain and struggle and you want to be a blessing to somebody else, please go to them. And so we're going to dismiss now by Gilbert praying and then you can head over right now, but Gilbert's going to dismiss us and surround these people that yeah, are we're still going to have people come up and pray. Whatever. Okay. You know what, okay. Gilbert, why don't you have them just grab okay. somebody okay. they know. And All right. Um... I am, I am humbled to have this opportunity to, to pray over, sit up, in the, sit up in the balcony all the time and imagine what it's like to stand here. So now that I've got it, now I can go back. <laughs> but this is serious, saints. This is very serious. You may not have raised your hand, but that's okay. God knows our hearts. God knows that, that we all need it. We all, need to, we all need that accountability. We all need to have that type of relationship. So whether you raise your hand today, don't feel like there's never a Sunday that you can't 
come and find that ever-present help in your time of need. Because accountability is really what's going to, to enhance your relationship with Christ, not keeping it to yourself. All right, let's pray. Father, there were those that, that raised their hands here today, and, and I know, Lord, that there are so many others in our hearts. And so I, I'm praying for those that did raise their hands, for those that are around them, that they would rush to them, that they would surround them, that they would feel that presence that pastor was talking about in that Acts 2 experience, that they, they went from house to house and they had fellowship and they broke bread and they, they broke open the word, but they had that relationship and they built that relationship with one another that wasn't predicated on how well things went, but it was in the times when they were in the trenches, when, when life didn't look as well as it was supposed to, when this whole idea of being a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ didn't match the culture and the world in which they lived in. And they wanted to know how to do it, but they were still learning. They still needed help. They still needed to know. And so I'm praying, Lord, first for those that raised their hands, Lord, that again, that we would rush to them after the service or that they would come forward and know, Lord, that, that at any time uh, that, that church is about them having the, those needs, those questions, those hurts addressed as soon as possible. And then, Lord, I, I'm praying that, that you would also just remind us that uh, the, uh, the passage in Ephesians 4, that, he, that you've given Moraine Valley a, a pastor who has a heart and a passion to see men and women, boys and girls, grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, but not so that everybody runs to him. The, the passage says that he equips the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so I know, Lord, that many men and women, boys and girls, come to, to church on Sunday with a lot of pain and hurt, and they can come in and, and, and mask and disguise it and leave out with those same pains and hurts. Lord, make us all a committee of one to look on the road that we're on, and go to anyone that looks like they may be struggling, yay, just go to everyone that we cross paths with and make sure that everything is okay, that they don't leave here with a burden, uh, with a burden that they could have had addressed had someone reached out and shown that they care. James said we shouldn't just be hearers of the word, we should do what it says. Compel us challenge us. Make us, Lord. Give us a heart like yours that looks for the weak and, and looks for the least of these even in our con congregation and make sure that we can, we can be to them what that first church was to all of their members to which we stand here today a recipient of. Thank you, Lord, for all that we've discussed here today. And may we um, bring you glory and honor as a result of something we've heard. And again, if we don't feel that we're ready to be accountable, Lord, uh, burden us until we do. So we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.